I am Lisa, and welcome to Two Sober Chicks. This is our speaker series edition. We bring you another speaker from the online meeting, AA Solution Seekers. And this morning, we'd like to welcome one of our newest members, Don. Thank you, everybody, for uh, your service. It is a honor and a privilege, honor to be asked to do anything for AA and a privilege to actually do it. Um, we're going to see how this stuff works today because I am sick. And I apologize if I have a coughing fit or need to blow my nose. I will not be wearing a mask today. If you're concerned, feel free. Um, my name is Don Moore. I am an alcoholic. I do not have a drinking problem. Um, a few uh, few of the vitals, my sobriety date, August 13th, 2008. My surrender date. May 12th, 2009, I do have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I have a home group, which is the Basic Text Big Book Study Group here in Ashland, Virginia. We are a hybrid meeting, and we meet Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Um, I do have a service position in my home group. I have a service position at district, and I also have a 10th step buddy uh, that we regularly go through uh, 10 step with it's a good connection um i was born in guantanamo bay cuba i guess uh, at the age of three months i was kicked out of the country according to my mother this was when uh, fidel castro was taking over and uh the shore patrol pulled up to the quonset hut said ms moore you uh you have three hours to pack anything you want to carry. You're leaving. Fortunately, she decided to take me along with her. Um, my childhood with uh, parents and, and the like was uh, fairly uneventful, as far unless as far as I made it. Um, at an early age, I was starting, I, I looked back after doing a four-step, I can see I was fighting everyone and everything. I had to be on top. I was five years old. I would, people would beat, adults would beat me at a game, and I would take it back to my room and sit in that room for hours. And this is according to my parents, until I mastered that game and then came out and challenged anybody to play. Um, I started school at a very young age. And uh, five years old in Naples, Italy, came back to the States. I was uh, five years old going into first, first grade. Everybody else was sick. I'd always been the youngest and the smallest and probably the most immature coming on up. Uh, got picked on a whole lot. So I learned to just turn it around and go back at them. Um, Went to a parochial school and, you know, it, it, it was what it was. I, I got no, uh, no religion really out of it. I ignored it. Uh, I was asking questions. I was a snarky little kid back then. Um, I asked a question to the nuns and I got punished for it. It was one of those, hey, if God knows all things and God can do all things, uh, how can we have free will? Boom. That was, a uh, you know. That was not allowed. At that point in time, I decided to be angry, and I had a major resentment. And uh, I was at about 11 years old. My first drunk, now I had 
I had uh, acquired a taste for alcohol as far as what I liked and didn't like because my parents would throw parties and I'd run around and take a sip of this, take a sip of that, take a sip of these. And I like beer. I like gin. I like bourbon. I did not like scotch. I blah, 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 blah. So at a, age 11, 12, Buddy and I were sitting out in my, uh, we were sleeping out in the backyard. And his father was a merchant marine, brought back a whole lot of duty free alcohol. And so much so that he would store it underneath the house. So we're 12 years old. We decided to sneak under the house, grab us a bottle. And that was my first drunk. Interesting thing is even today, I can remember every glorious moment of that first drunk. Man, it was great. Man, I can tell you where we went, what we did, how I, everything. I also remember waking up in the morning and having that worry and fear that they're going to find the bottle that we stole and that we didn't finish. You know, there you go. Now, after that, now, of course, at 12 years old, I can't drink every day. I just can't walk up and get it. But uh, my buddies and I, through our teenage years, would uh, would drink every opportunity we could. We would still steal a couple of bottles under. We figured out that the guys hanging around the convenience store and the liquor store if we gave them money they would go ahead and buy us what we, you know what we wanted ripple boone's farm uh some of y'all might remember that stuff uh thunderbird then we also had the the beer and the liquor as well when i started driving i started drinking more and more and more now, through the teenage years, and then I was highly competitive in sports. And in one sport, the only people that I could practice with and get any competition were the college guys at 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. I was that good. And so I hung out in the college fraternities. Lots of alcohol. Lots of other stuff. I had a great time. Of course, showing up for practice in the morning at 5.36 in the morning, hungover was all get out and sometimes still drunk was not fun. But, hey, I had access to what I wanted. Through the next couple of years, as a senior, I graduated. I got snatched up by the collar at the bequest of uh, my mother by a friend who was in Alcoholics Anonymous, friend of hers. Uh, it's actually the buddy, uh, the father of my uh, my drinking buddy, Kevin. Uh, his father had gotten sober. He took me to AA. 1974. Nope, speaker meeting. Didn't identify. I'm 17. Bunch of old guys, blah, blah, blah. From there, when the military, making a uh, trying to make this short, I got in all sorts of trouble. What happened during my drinking? 
let's see. I've wrecked numerous cars, rolled them down uh, uh, off-ramp ravines, into the woods, whatever. I've been through relationships like crazy. I was one of those drinkers that I was like a Yahtzee game. You put me in a cup, shake me up, roll me out, and you never know what you got. I would be angry. I would be threatening. I would be disgustingly antisocial and dangerous as well. I would just be depressive and sit in a corner. I would be the life of the party. You never knew. You never knew. Of course, you know, when I drank, I was, of course, a ladies' man. You know, that, that got me, you know. And I could not hold a relationship. I was a blackout drinker. I woke up in a different area of town. I woke up in a different town. I woke up in a different state. And I came to in a different country. When a buddy of mine out in San Diego, when I was in the Navy, we, we drank all night tequila sitting across the table. Uh, decided we were going to go to Disneyland in the morning. We headed off to Disneyland and ended up south of Tijuana. Uh, one was north, one was south. Um, that was interesting. Um, I was a lifer while in the Navy, but due to my drinking, I decided that that wasn't for me. I had other things to do. I was more important. Um, this was a theme through my growing up. I, I threw away so many opportunities. I threw away potential scholarships. I threw away job opportunities and careers. I threw away decent relationships. Um, I would come to in the morning and I'd have somebody moved in with me. Didn't know who the hell it was. Find out when I came back from work that night. Damn. I've been in situations where I was uh, pointing guns at other people. I was in situations where I had guns pointed at me and a knife at my throat. I put myself in a situation and I say I put myself there. This was when I was older because I was so damn drunk. Um, granted, it was not my fault, but I have been raped. Um, it was not my fault. The person took advantage, but at the same time, I put myself in that position because I was 19 years old. I had to come out with that with four step. By the time I was 27, I had been married twice. Um, I thought a relationship was going to fix me. I thought moving was going to fix me. I thought a job was going to fix me. Nothing did. One night I'm sitting there, November 26th, 1983. Um, I, I had one of those experiences. Nothing bad happened to me. But it's like surrounded by darkness. I disgusted myself. I was at that jumping off point. I had nothing. I was totally hopeless. I saw no future for myself. I had I was in a situation where I don't care anymore. I really don't care. There's nothing to hold on to. I had no trust and no faith in my society. 
anything around me, the people, my family, my work, there was nothing. And I was sort of at a jumping off point for some reason. Over the period of time, uh, my mother and a couple of people were always putting uh, little articles or pamphlets or books about Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, we had phone books that back then. I went through the phone book, called up Alcoholics Anonymous. Guy agreed to meet me at a, uh, a uh, non-alcoholic social club is what he called it. It was a Rebos club. And, uh, I sat down. We played cribbage across the table. And uh, he told me about himself, about Alcoholics Anonymous, how there's a solution. All of a sudden, chairs and tables started moving. I asked him what was going on. He said, they're getting ready for an AA meeting. They're getting ready for a meeting. And I got all indignant and resentful because he had tricked me into going to an AA meeting. Mind you, I called him. I met him. But in my mind, he had tricked me. And then those, uh, then those banners unfurled that had God. Oh, my goodness. I There was no God to even not believe in for me that day. When I came into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I claimed atheist. At best, I was a belligerent and defiant agnostic. I would argue points with you. I read the Bible so that I had the ammunition to attack you with it. And you better have the answers. You better be able to counter argument mine and just to tell me, oh, it's in the Bible. That, that didn't cut it. That didn't cut it. So I was fighting. Um, it was a good 10 months before I would even attend a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that was intent, that was, that was held in a place of worship. Um, a couple of guys, they, they came up to me, said, um, we're your sponsors. You're too damn arrogant and headstrong to, to ask anybody to help you. So we're going to be it. Uh, one of the guys had read all that philosophy stuff like I had, and he was able to have the answers. And he had me a couple of books and all these people that I thought were atheists or agnostic. I found out that they really weren't. They they actually believed in something. And what it ended up being is that I had to do step two and I had to do step three. Um, and the guy said, and I used to, uh, uh, after coming back why i came back every single day to this social club i don't know but i did and i do have to tell a little story about that as i'm coming into this social club this aa clubhouse three old guys were sitting at the same table every day and old dave was sitting there and i'd come walking through the door and he'd go hey don how you doing today and I would just go proceed to tell him how bad things were and how miserable life was and nothing was going my way. And he'd say, don't worry, it'll change. And I would throw a bunch of expletives to describe him. 
And so about three months or so, I don't remember exactly, of course, but I come walking in about three feet off the ground. I had gotten a new job. Things were going well. I was feeling great. I walked through. I tell him all this stuff, and he just looks up from the table, says, don't worry, it'll change. Boy, you want to talk about firing some expletives to describe this guy and what I thought of him. That was um, That was quite something. But I used to, I didn't describe myself as an alcoholic at that point in time. I said I was powerless over alcohol. So one of the guys came up and says, you're fighting against this step two and step three. I'm going to lay it out for you. You're saying that you're powerless over alcohol. So you've already, you've already agreed that there's power greater than yourself. Flat up here and simple. You, you've already agreed that because alcohol. And it, it dances you around like a little marionette puppet. Just one more. Doesn't want you dead. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. And I kept chasing just one more. And I kept chasing that whatever. I believe that alcohol doesn't care. It doesn't care whether I'm dead, alive, on skid, what. It just wants me to have one more. Because it knows that. Just one more is going to lend me down that same back alley that I always do with that darkness around me, that hopelessness, that feeling of nothing. So he said, okay, you've already admitted alcohol is more powerful than you. Well, step two simply means that you believe in a power greater than yourself that can restore you sanity, that soundness of mind. Sanity simply means soundness of mind. He said, Insanity is a legal term. Don't even go with that. It's a diagnosis is a legal term. Sanity, soundness of mind, the ability to think properly. Because a power greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. And he said, well, alcohol is greater than yourself and there's no sanity. There's soundness of mind. There better be a power greater than yourself that's more power than, powerful than alcohol or else you're screwed. And you know what? That guy had a, had an answer. It made sense. It was logical. I could wrap my head around it. And then he said, step three, that's just how we've been behaving. You know, he says, say God, because it's easier than a power greater than myself. It's shorter. You know, whatever. You know, it really doesn't matter. The name, of course, for me, a light bulb and a doorknob didn't do a daggone thing because I doorknob ain't going to open the door without me going over there and using my power to, to turn it. A light bulb ain't going to do nothing if I don't use my power to do the switch. No, there had to be something that was greater than me. And uh, I started believing in something, something with a capital S. And then made a decision to turn my thoughts and my actions, my thinking and my behavior. I didn't want to give up my life. I was going to have nothing left. I'm going to, you know, eh, you know, I don't want to do that. At least my thinking and my behavior, I needed to change something and things weren't going right. I was playing the game by my own rules. And I was still losing the game. 
Well, I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, got with these two guys, worked the steps, got into service, was taking meetings into the hospital. Uh, uh, I had service uh, at that clubhouse. I would clean up. Back then, we had uh, ashtrays. You had smoking in the meeting. And if you wanted a non-smoking section, you better be crawling around at two and a half foot level because the smoke was that thick. Um, and life got better. It really did. Life got better. But my relationship with my second wife at the time, it was, uh, it was very strained because we got together because we drank together. We partied the same. And I remember at the one year sobriety mark, we had got into a big fight and she said sobriety is more important to you than than blah 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 and i paused there for a moment and i said yes it is and that was the beginning of the end of that relationship um i continued with alcoholics anonymous i was very active in the program now you'll notice that i said my sobriety date was August 2008, but here I am talking about 1983, 84, all of that stuff. Life got good. I met a woman after about five years sobriety. Um, she did not drink. She was not a drinker. She was not, I did not meet her in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we got married. And life was great. And I had a career. And we got married and I had a house. And we had kids. And I got away from Alcoholics Anonymous. I got away from the things that I was doing. I lost connection. And I didn't drink. But I didn't drink. At about 10, 11 years, I, I, I really quit you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't drink. And you know what? It was real easy for me to say, I don't drink. You offer me, a, you know, a beer, a drink, whatever. No, no, thanks. I don't drink. You know, I didn't drink until I drank. 20 years without a drink. I didn't drink until I drank. What happened? The same old thinking came in. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was thinking the way I wanted to think. I had no uh, no power in my life that was greater than myself. I had everything under control. Basically, it was untreated alcoholism. I became that mean, miserable son of a bitch that I was before. I did not participate in any family activities because they were inconvenient and I did not like the people in the extended family. So I wanted nothing to do with them. I just removed myself out. I pretty much quit life altogether. And uh, and then one day I'm, you know, oh, by the way, I, I've said before, I am unapologetically big book. The big book is 
the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Attending meetings is just is the fellowship. It got me into it. And today I am surrounded by men who use the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the pure message of Alcoholics Anonymous, not muddled up with anything that's written in between the white spaces of the stuff. It's a few simple directions. They are simple. Sometimes I make them harder than they need to be. But I've learned today they work. That's why I am a real alcoholic. I drank again. And once I drank, I could not not drink. So anyway, I'm sitting, I, I, I got into gambling. And I was actually very good at it. I kept books and all of that stuff. And uh, I was making quite a profit. And, uh, I, I kept it. I, I, I can't stand slot machines. I did stuff that I had some control over. That would be the poker table and doing the horses. So I'm sitting down 20 years without a drink. I'm sitting down at the off-track betting parlor, handicapping horses that are going to be running the next uh, Kentucky Derby in the pre-races like the Oaks and all of that stuff. And I look up, damn that Heineken that that waitress had on her, her tray looked good. And there's a story about a man in the big book that thought he would uh, put whiskey with his milk and that would be okay, you know? Well, here's what I did. I'm just like him. I was always told, find where you are in the book. Well, here's what I did. Waitress, like a Heineken, a black coffee, and an unsweetened iced tea, please. All in one breath. And, of course, the waitress looked at me with a cocked head like, you know, one of those dogs like, hmm? really? You want all three? I go, yes, please. Because in my thinking, in my head, I... uh the caffeine in the other two was going to keep my head clear so I can, uh, you know, continue to handicap the horses properly in the proper frame of mind. Thing was, is that I, uh, I had that one and boy, it tasted good. And I didn't want another. See, I can drink safely again. And by the way, in my way of looking at myself, that was not a slip. That was not a relapse. I do not use those words for myself. I made a conscious choice to order that beer and to put it up to my lips. Even having this discussion with myself that you don't drink, that you're an alcoholic, that was then, this is now. You had problems back then, this is now, everything's fine. I never realized that things were not fine. They were not fine at all. So I didn't, I didn't drink. And then, so next weekend, I have another beer. Nothing bad happened. Didn't have another one. Didn't want another one. After a little period of time, that cunning, baffling and powerful, that, 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 that thinking was I don't want another drink. I don't want another beer. But I want Saturday to get here. I don't want a drink, but I want Saturday to get here. Because when Saturday gets here, I'm going to have that beer. 
My drinking didn't pick up right away where I left off. It was just one. And then that old saying over and over again, just one more. It's okay. Just one more. Just one more. And it went to two. And then it went to three. And then it went to a six pack and over a period of time. My body also got back in the same condition it was before. Um, I have drank to where my blood alcohol content was a 0.37 and still operating a motor vehicle. Our bodies are as sick as our minds. They change over time. There's no way I got to a 0.37 in one night of drinking. I had a period of time when I had no period of sobriety whatsoever. My wife, one day, she just goes, you know, I don't want to drink with you. I don't want to, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And she said it with not, no emotion or anything like that. And I knew that that was the end, that our marriage was over. She asked me to leave. She gave me uh, three months to get my affairs in order to find a place. And I did. And I moved to where I'm living now. It's a small little place. And I had a, things were just getting worse and worse and worse. I wasn't eating hardly at, ever, at, at all. Um, I was still working because I needed to work because I needed to afford my booze and other stuff. In order to get my nutrition, I was still drinking my nutrition. I would buy Insure because I knew I needed, I needed that minerals and that vitamin and stuff like that, but I couldn't eat. Uh, Insure and Cheez-Its and Hot Pockets. That was it. Um, it got bad. And then one night, once again, the darkness closed in. I had reached hopelessness, reached that jumping off point. Up until then, I had already planned that I was going to kill myself. That was some months down the road. I had a date picked out that was going to hurt somebody else because it was a special day for them. I'll show you. I'll kill myself on that date that's special to you. You'll regret it. And I had taken out the bullets of my 357 and set them aside. And for weeks, I was just, I would pick it up while I'm doing other stuff and dry fire. Um, And then I decided one night that I'd had enough. I can't take it anymore. And then I couldn't find the bullets. It wasn't that day that I picked out. It was earlier. I couldn't take it anymore. And I couldn't find the bullets. And then I went back. Uh, I knew where the bullets were and in my top drawer. And uh, most of us guys have a top drawer and a dresser that's got all sorts of crap in it. Um, anyway, I pulled it out. There was the box of shells. Damn it, there was a big book. I wasn't supposed to have that. I'd thrown everything away, hadn't I? Well, anyway, I called up Alcoholics Anonymous. An angel on the other end didn't give up to me. Another guy, a guy finally got on there. I told him I had 20 years without a drink, but I had been drinking again. This was a four and a half year run. I'm weighing, I'm weighing today 40 pounds more than I was weighing that night. Um, he told me to go to two meetings. 
And for some reason, I took his suggestion. Didn't want to, but I still drove anyway. Didn't want to. The first meeting, nobody greeted me. If it was up to that first meeting, nobody greeted me. Nobody said hello. Nobody shook my hand. If it was up to that meeting there, I would not be here today. But the second meeting I went to, guys came around me. One of the guys, Clinton, he, he, tells, he tells a story today that when I came into that meeting, he and another guy put their phone on 911 ready to hit send because uh, they didn't think I was going to make it through the meeting with uh, without having an alcoholic seizure. Um, I hooked up around uh, with with a bunch of guys from that meeting. Uh, got 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 a whole list of phone numbers. Was going to a meeting every day. Wasn't sure whether I wanted to or not, but I still went. Don't know why. I didn't want to go through this again. Damn, it's too hard. I don't want to do this. Went to a meeting that's my current home group. Got another book of phone numbers. You know what? Every single one of them phone numbers, except eight. I mean, we got a lot of phone numbers. Are still good. Or they died sober. All those numbers I can call up today, I still have those two sets. Those are guys that work the program. They did the deal. And when they said call me, they meant it. And they always called me back. They maybe didn't pick up, but they always called me back. Well, four days later after I decided to put it down, I uh, I walked into a meeting. I was there early. I was the first one. And my neighbor walked into the meeting. He was the first next person. He goes, hey, boy, been waiting on you. Because he knew I was a drunk. He'd seen me. I'd return his mail to him. He'd go out of town for a weekend. Didn't know he was going off on AA golf trips and AA retreats. Didn't know he was in AA. But there he was. There he was. And I went home that night and I knew I wasn't alone. I never hung out with him, never sat in his living room talking about my problem or anything like that, but I knew he was there. It was comforting. I was not alone for the first time in a long time. And I went to meetings and I hooked up with a bunch of good guys. And I worked these steps. Well, not right away. No, I just went to meetings. I just went to meetings. And I would hit 14, 13, 14 meetings from Friday afternoon getting off of work to Sunday night because I was afraid to be by myself and not know what I want, know, know what to do with myself. And even with all, and I was going to two meetings a night the rest of the week. I was running from everything in myself and I was just throwing myself into meetings and I wasn't working any of the steps. I wasn't doing anything. Nine months later, I've got untreated alcoholism. I'm not drinking. I'm going to meetings and I can't handle it. There's still no solution. I was still working and I walked away from work that day. This was that surrender date, May 12th, 
2009, nine months later, nine months without a drink, and I can't handle it. I walked out of work because I didn't want them to know I was gone. I left the car there. I was going to walk two miles to the liquor store, then another mile home and complete what I was going to do on August 12th that night. I was going to get drunk and take myself out. But somewhere along the way, because of muscle memory, because I was told to call another alcoholic every day because of muscle memory i called another alcoholic and when i told him the spot i was in he stopped what he was doing and he came and got me and he took me to a starbucks where my sponsor my grand sponsor and a couple other guys were sitting around it's been wonderful since we got into actually working the steps Working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'll tell you, um, I didn't, I haven't gotten any cash and prizes. My, 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 my opportunities for wonderful careers have not come back to me because, you know, I'm older and I've screwed up stuff. Do you know what? Through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have uh, I have other people that respect me. I have I, I I got married again, my fourth wife. This has gotten me through Alcoholics Anonymous has gotten me through a lot of hell, and my wife went back out drinking, and that was hell. It was like being back in first-time sobriety, but I, I got told, don't make any decisions right away. And I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And now we are working at it, just like before. Through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have been able to make amends to my third wife, the mother of my children. And we have a great relationship today. We will get together. She will call up or I will call her and we will sit and talk about the kids and the grandkids. She was always mother. She is always mom. I am always dad. She is grandma. I am grandpa. And she will call me up and say, hey, I got him today. I can't handle this by myself. Will you come down and help? And then I'll go to my wife right now. I said, Susan's, Susan's asking if I'll help with the grandkids. Go ahead and go. My wife today and my ex-wife, they get along and they like each other. They don't hang out with each other, mind you. They don't go shopping. They're not besties or anything like that. But, but they understand. They get it. And it's through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I got this stuff going on. It's through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I have a basis on which to live my life with relationships. I not only did the steps, I had to give up. I had to clean up. I had to make up and then I had to grow up. Growing up sucks. I still go around and have a lot of fun. I still don't. I don't act my age. Don't expect me to. You know, I take serious things serious. I take the program of Alcoholics Anonymous extremely serious. And uh, because I am unapologetically big book, I end up on people's, uh, I end up on people's fourth step. 
you know what? I don't care. I don't care. Fifteen years later in this program, I find myself again getting a little unraveled around the edges. See, my alcoholism, my alcoholism does not come out necessarily by drinking. It comes out in all sorts of different ways. All sorts of different ways. My first time around, before my, my relapse, it did come out with the excessive gambling. I was good, but then once I started drinking again, all bets were off and I could not pass up a bet. It came out in in anger it came out in 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 porn comes out in so many different ways goes sideways i would buy stuff that i did not have the money to buy and hide it because i knew i was not allowed to buy it i still do some of that it'll come out sideways the nice thing is though today I believe, just like the the um, the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, many times at the big of the beginning of the big book, they describe themselves as recovered. I too am recovered. Now, the book tells me I am not cured of alcoholism, and I believe that the book says it, but it also says I am recovered says I am recovered from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I can think properly today due to the fact of Alcoholics Anonymous, due to the fact that I am staying put, due to the fact that I am staying in contact with other men, due to the fact that I can do that 10th step, redo my fourth step. I use the traditions as my as my guide in my relationships today, to bring those down on a personal level, I have been taught how to use those traditions. And boy, it's not just the steps, but those two, putting that all together. Seventh tradition, fully self-supporting. In a relationship, I need to be responsible for my own sobriety, my own spirituality. My own emotions. I got to bring something to the table. I got to be there. Third tradition, the only requirement to be in the relationship is a desire to be in the relationship. Whether that be a relationship with my wife or a relationship with work or anything like that. They can all apply. You know, it's really good stuff today. There's a whole lot more. I can go on and on and on and on because I love this today. And I have just recently found the need to search out another man. I still have my sponsor, but I have searched out another man to go through the steps once again, starting at one for a new experience. And I'm learning stuff all over again and finding some holes in my program that I did not realize were there. It's my hope for you. If you are an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, that you too will be recovered.
Um, I'd like to end with a prayer. It's a gratitude prayer. Lord, I thank you for what you gave me. I thank you for what you took away from me. And I thank you for what you left me with. For it is what you left me with that I can build the foundation of the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Don, for joining us on Two Sober Chicks, another fantastic speaker brought to you from the online meeting AA Solution Seekers. We hope you seek us out someday. Have a great 24 from Julie and Lisa and Two Sober Chicks.